Welcome to Casual Conversations, brought to you by Momentum Ministries, helping you attain, maintain, and regain momentum for life. Let's join the conversation with author and pastor Scott Wade, president of Momentum Ministries. Good morning. I am Pastor Scott, your host for today's Casual Conversation. We're on all-star break, and during this all-star break, we're asking the question, you did what? You may remember uh, Lisa Dace being on with us a few weeks ago. Uh, In that uh, podcast, uh, she shared the story of finding God's compassion in the midst of COVID. Well, our guest on Casual Conversations today is her husband, Mark. Mark from Collierville, Tennessee. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing? Good morning, Scott. I am excellent. I am excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, Why don't you, we made Lisa go through this and give the elevator speech about who she was, uh, uh, testimony, some personal background. Right. Well, I will do my best here. So my wife, Lisa, as you mentioned, she and I have been married uh, 20 years next week, actually. Congratulations. Anniversary next week. We're excited about that for sure. Yep. It's, uh, It's a big milestone for us. But we live in Tennessee in Collierville with our five kids. They range in ages from uh, really 18 down to nine years old. I work as an engineer for a a medical device company making tools and implants for spine surgery. So that's what I do. Okay. So um, what did you do to get on this podcast? (laughs) Well, I would say... To the uh, extreme concern of my next door neighbor, I built an airplane in the garage over the course of several years. So you, whatever uh, that means, yep, that's, yeah, that's what I did. And so the question, you did what? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I decided one day that uh, it would be a good idea to build an airplane. And we took it on as a project and uh, finished it over the course of several years, and we've been enjoying it ever since. So this is an airplane that that, that you uh, you fly. Absolutely. So, yep, so exactly. It's, so uh, so you get in it. Two people. Okay. You climb in. Yep. Close the door. Take off. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Yep. Um, you go down the runway and and get up enough speed. You you get up over the trees. Yep. One of our uh, favorite things to do. We've got family back in Colorado, so we uh, we get over the mountains as well. Okay. Um, so how how far or how high? in the mountains do you go so the place that our family lives is just on the other side of the continental divide from where we are the eastern part of the country so you have to get up over the top which uh right there is about twelve thousand feet so you're usually 15 or sixteen thousand feet to get over the top and then you dive back down to the runway on the ground on the other side so okay gets up there i remember um when you told me about building your airplane and uh, i think i shared with you i saw, maybe even just a little embarrassed. I, I built my own uh, camper on the back of my pickup. I, I never got my pickup to uh, 15,000 feet. It, it, probably the <laughs> most was maybe over here in the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, five, 6,000 feet, maybe. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, uh, so you, uh, you build an airplane. Why, why'd you do that? Yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> no, I, I, I have always from, you know, even the time I was a kid, loved the thought uh, of flight and being able to fly. So as a kid, that really took the form of things like building model rockets and radio controlled airplanes. And and really, by the time I got to um, my later years in college, I sought out an instructor. I was going to school in Colorado 
I sought out an instructor and took lessons to learn to fly hang gliders. So after finishing up school and finding a job and, and flying hang gliders around for a little while, I got the opportunity to do some real flying lessons in the, uh, the Cessna in my case and was totally hooked. It was just uh -huh. the, the most amazing thing I thought I could be doing. So, you know, most people, as I suspect, who get their pilot's license, once they are freshly minted, I think they, they discover, as I did, how really expensive renting airplanes is. Most places where you can rent airplanes, they also use those same airplanes for training other students, which means they're not very excited about you taking their airplane to Florida for a week because it means they lose a lot of training revenue uh, for uh -huh. that time. So it was it became really apparent to me really fast that if I was ever going to fly uh, very often, that I needed some different strategy than, than renting airplanes, which is sort of how I fell into the middle of building my own. So you built your own rather than bought your own. Well, you, you had to buy whatever you built. Right. I understand that. But sure. But yeah. Why didn't you? purchase one was it a financial decision or just the excitement of the challenge of it you know i think that's part of it i i love to build things i as i said i'm an engineer by training so i love that that um, ability to build things but one of the things that is interesting about these airplanes like the one that i built it comes in in parts uh, there's a, a manufacturer that makes this thing it's vans aircraft is the name of the company and i bought a particular model and it comes in separate kits. You buy the tail section, and then you buy the wing section, then you buy the um, the fuselage section, and then you buy an engine, and you buy the interior, the seats, and the uh, flight yoke, and then you buy the instrument panels, and you buy all of the components that go together. But the great thing is you can do that in stages. I can buy the tail section, and it's, it's a little bit of money, but I can do that, and I can spend the next year working on that section. So I can distribute out that cost of an airplane over multiple years. Um, so that, that really helped. That was how I was able to be able to do that. And we worked really hard to make sure that we were using cash to do it and not trying to go into debt to build this thing. But we really appreciated the ability to do that over a period of time so that it let us. I heard you say, I think three different times in that little uh, uh -oh. monologue there, you said the, the tail section. Did you start there or did you, it, it seems to me like you should start yeah. at the nose, yeah. you know, but where, where did you start? <laughs> no, no, the tail section is probably the easiest one to start. It's relatively medium sized in, in airplane world. It's, it's the smaller of some of the components and you can buy that kit. And if you really mess it up, you can buy the kit again. And it's, it's sort of the least expensive part of it. And probably the one that's perhaps the least important, if you can think about it that way, but it sort of gets you trained up in a way that allows you to do the, the more important stuff like the wings. And the, uh, so, the so you started at the tail and worked your way forward, I'm assuming. Right. Worked your way forward. Yep. Sure do. Okay. Um, I think you said it took yeah. you a couple years, three years. About, about three years. Yes. Uh -huh. I spent the first about two years in the garage. We had a two car garage that um, I left my Tacoma out in the driveway and, and Lisa parked her van in the garage right next to the airplane. And we would uh, go out and work on the airplane whenever there was a free moment. So, so, so Lisa yeah. worked with you. She did actually, she helped oh, in good. some of the really critical phases. She helped me hang the engine out there and uh, we did some important things. She was a, a big help. It was one of those projects that really everybody in the family participated some amount, right? We, we know, 
which rivet each of the kids uh, helped to smash. We had a rivet smashing day one day and we all went out and smashed a couple. And so all the kids know where their particular rivet is on the airplane. But it, it was about two years in the garage. And then when it got too big to manage in our in our garage, we moved it out to a, a little airport, a little grass airstrip. It's just a couple of miles down the road from where we live. And how'd, how'd you move it? That's a funny story, actually. I called up a, uh, a towing company. They happened to have one of these uh, flatbed trailer kind of towers that tilts over. And I called them up and said, hey, I really need you guys to come out and help me move this thing. And uh-huh. uh, told them what it was. And they got all excited. And we had arranged a time. And the time came. And like six cars showed up out in the front of the house. It was the, the driver and his truck and all his friends and the owner of the company and their buddies. And they all just wanted to see what this whole project was about. They rolled the thing up onto the trailer and <laughs> drove it down to the airport. So you had... You didn't have the wings on it yet. Yeah, that's that's probably a good call out. No, the wings were not on there. Uh-huh. But uh, but pretty much the rest of it was was uh, it looked like an airplane. If you strip uh-huh. the wings off, it looked like an airplane. Otherwise, so it was an I, interesting sight going down the road. I bet so. You got a lot of looks that day. People wondered what in the <laughs> world. So um, for sure, tell us yeah. a little bit about what your plane can do. Um, like yeah. can. What's the capacity, if that's a, the right word for an airplane, a load, sure. weight load or whatever? I don't know. Those are all the right words. So it's a, it's a two-seater. This one's an interesting model. It's called a tip-up, which just means that the, the doors to the airplane are actually one-piece uh, fiberglass bubble that goes over the top of the cockpit, and there's a hinge at the front. So when you open the door, essentially, you're just lifting up the top of the bubble. And so you climb in and you get yourself all seated and seat belted in, and then you fold the bubble down. And then it's like sitting in the top of a, um, of a lookout. You, you, there's no roof per se that, that uh, is in your, uh, that's blocking your view. It's all clear plastic bubble. So there's nothing in front of you or above you. And so it's really like if you think about being in a roller coaster or something like that, you've got a, just a perfect view with nothing obstructing that. So you get in and, uh, so it's a two-seater. It runs on a 180-horsepower engine that you'd find in most little airplanes. And so that'll push you along to about 200 miles an hour as it's what they call a cruise speed. So you fly along much faster than traffic below, which is kind of fun. And it will. It has a ceiling, which is dictated by you know how, how well the engine performs at altitude of about 21,000 feet. So you can get oh. it pretty high and go pretty fast. So it's a great little airplane. It's unfortunately... It's not big enough for our whole family, so we end up taking turns a lot of times. We uh, we have sort of a rotating schedule. All the kids enjoy flying, so we'll get up early on a Saturday morning, for example, and take one, and we'll go fly to a little an air, a close by airport, and it has a little restaurant on on property, and have pancakes for breakfast, and then uh, turn around and fly home. We'll do sort of cycle through the kids as we do that. It's kind of a uh, fun thing to do cool. on a Saturday morning. So. Um... I've known you a, a few years and I know you go sure. to, you go back to Colorado uh, in the yeah. summer. Yeah. And, and right. Do you shuttle back and forth and does the family drive and you fly <laughs> later or yeah. how do you do that? We've got a great big van that we load up at the beginning of the summer and we, we all drive out together and we send the kids stay for usually several weeks. Um, but typically I work some, so I'll fly back commercially and work for a little bit in Memphis and then I'll jump in the plane and fly out and uh, land at an airport that's really very close to their house, maybe 10 minutes away. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we've got some friends that have a hangar there, so we keep it there. 
And so we can fly around when we're there. We the, the mornings and the evenings in the mountains of Colorado are just gorgeous to be the sun come up and the sun go down. So we really enjoy doing that. So um is it fairly well nothing's easy until you learn how to do it, I guess. But um <laughs> sure. Was it was it easy to learn how to fly and climb in that thing it's and start particular. going? Yeah. What, what tell me what was the first flight like? Were you a little nervous? Yeah. You know, okay, I've yeah. put this thing together. I've put it through its uh, tests, and now I'm going to put it in the air. Right. Well, what's interesting about that is that um, originally, my my original plan, I, I had a friend who is, uh, flies a similar airplane, and I asked him if he'd mind, you know, taking it up for the first time, just in case there's something happens, he would be more equipped to be able to handle a situation like that. And, um, in the process of building, I, I learned that there's a couple of instructors around the country that teach in these particular airplanes. So I flew out to Vernonia, Oregon, happens to be where one of these gentlemen is located, and spent a couple of days learning to fly this particular model airplane. He has one. Mm-hmm. So I spent a couple of days and got signed off in this particular type and came back and thought, well, gosh, I can do this. This, this can't be hard. So I uh, got all the FAA paperwork and inspections complete and decided I'm going to do it. And so it was uh, Father's Day of 2014 that it had its maiden flight. That was oh, kind of a fun way to celebrate yeah. that particular day. That's yeah. good. Well, uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I want you to uh, tell us about, um, I don't know if legal is the right term, but uh, licensing and, and uh, some things like that. But let's take sure. a break and uh, hear from Momentum Ministries. Hi, this is Amy. As you consider God's concern for you, we encourage you to practice the habit of prayer, just as Jesus did. You can also share your prayer request with us. Visit our website at MomentumMinistries.org and click on the prayer tab. We at Momentum Ministries would be honored to pray for you. While you're on our website, check out our other resources too. And as always, we appreciate all those who support our ministry financially. Now let's get back to today's casual conversation. All right. Thank you, Momentum Ministries. We're back on Casual Conversations with Mark Dace. Uh, So, Mark, before the break, I asked you to uh, consider what kind of licensing or legal requirements and how old you have to be. Yeah, well, a lot of that applies to the pilot, uh, him or herself, is the FAA requires certain uh, metrics to be met to be able to be a pilot. I think it's 16 to actually get your license and you have to fly with an instructor every couple of years as a private pilot just to make sure that you're proficient. But as far as building the airplane, the FAA is, is an interesting beast. They they consider these particular airplanes, ones that are built in, in your own house or your own hangar, they're called home-built, but they fall into a category of uh, what the FAA calls experimental. Mm. And so experimental just really essentially means that the FAA has not formally certified all the bits and pieces of this particular airplane as they come together in this one big mass that goes flying down the runway that that meet the requirements that you could sell this as a commercial entity. I couldn't build 20 of these things and sell them to all my friends that uh, that's sort of out of the bounds. So this particular airplane is experimental. The interesting thing about that is, you know, as most government regulated processes, the cost of the product development process um, in that scenario where every, all of the bits have to be certified is really expensive. And that's what makes a Cessna, for example, cost so much money. Because those parts aren't actually certified by the FAA, 
go into an experimental airplane, the cost is dramatically less, anywhere from a quarter to a half, for example, of what that same piece would cost you if you put it in a Cessna, for example, versus putting in an experimental airplane. So back to the very beginning, right? The, the ability to build an airplane at a reasonable cost is partially because of all of this. So that's where experimental comes from. And it falls within that category. The FAA will come out and after you fill out reams of paperwork, the FAA comes out and does an inspection of the airplane and looks it over and makes sure that everything is um, done appropriately. You wiggle the, the control stick around and the FAA inspector makes sure that everything moves and jiggles like it should. And then they sign your document that just essentially puts you in what they call a test phase. And so you have 40 hours of flying that you have to do within a certain distance away from your primary airport. I couldn't take it and go out to California, for example. I have to fly within. My boundary was about a 75-mile circle around my home airport. And you have to do that for 40 hours. And once you're through there and you've done all your flight testing as, as the FAA requires, then you're free to really do whatever you want to with it. You can go wherever. You can do whatever you want to with it. This this particular airplane has all the bits and pieces that allow it to be flown um, in clouds or at night um, above 18,000 feet. So there's kind of regulations around all those particular things. So do you do some night flying? Oh, yes. Night flying and uh, <clears throat> flying especially high are just are really great ways to, uh, to get around. And the view is amazing. Um, those trips back and forth to Colorado, a lot of times you're you're flying over low clouds, <clears throat> and so you can get up 16,000 feet, 17,000 feet, and a lot of times that'll push you over the top of the clouds. Uh, and later on in the evening, it's always an enjoyable flight. What was the most difficult part of building it? Um, well, I think there were a couple challenging steps, some, some particular things I can think of trying to get that engine uh, on the mount is, a, is an interesting challenge. There's some technical uh, parts that make that really hard to do. It's, it's an interesting thing that all of the bolts, there's four bolts, big ones that hold the engine onto the airplane. The connection points are on the back of the engine. And so the mount, the engine mount, if you will, is on the, on the front of the airplane, but on the back of the engine. And all of those mounts, the direction of the bolts point towards the propeller. And so trying to get all of those bolts in those holes and on this engine that weighs a couple hundred pounds, that is kind of a uh, a gymnastics exercise that has to be done. So there's a couple interesting things that are difficult to do kind of in general, but I would say mostly the, the most difficult part of the whole process was really managing relationships, I would say, during the process. We're trying to find the right balance of not missing out on daily activities with a young family, for example, um, and not putting all of that burden on my already exhausted wife um, who by the end of the day was ready for a break. Um, it took a long time before we settled into a routine that worked for everybody. That was really, I would say by far and away, the, the hardest part about um, making this thing work. Actually getting that worked out, actually building and flying the airplane, that was easy. What was the most exciting moment <laughs> that you had in your airplane? Yeah, there were a few exciting moments, I would say, but uh, one of them that I can think of, I was coming back from a trip to Colorado, and it's from where I took off to where I uh, was trying to get to is about 1,200 miles, so it's a good long trip. It takes probably six hours or so um, to get there. I got all the way to about uh, 10 miles to my destination. I was all, almost there, right? I'm the last, like, two minutes of the flight, and 
this cloud thunderstorm moves in right over the top of the airport and sort of socks in the airport I was trying to get to. And so I, I hooked the UE and uh, made a U-turn and landed at, uh, in Oxford Airport, Oxford, Mississippi, and, uh, and landed there thinking this will just pass. And I landed and pretty soon this flight for life helicopter comes in and lands and this corporate jet comes in and lands and several other airplanes coming in and land and we're all sort of stuck there together because of the same storm that's sort of enveloping the area. I ended up actually spending the night there sleeping in a lounge chair in the Oxford airport waiting area, just hoping that this thunderstorm would pass enough that I could get this last 10 miles to my destination. It never did. I, uh, I actually rented a car and drove back home uh, to to uh, leave the airport, leave the airplane there for several days. Let's bring this in for a landing. Well, uh, you know, I'll say this, this is a long project. This took, you know, multiple years and it took, um, one of the things the FAA requires is that you document all the hours that you spend doing it. And so it is, I've got a pretty good total. It was about 1200, a little bit more, 1200 hours of, of time to be able to put this thing together. So I think what's so amazing to me and what I came to realize partially through the process, but certainly by the end, is it's, it's really amazing what can be done with the sort of interstitial parts of the day. If you're willing to get up a little early, maybe turn the TV off, really love to encourage anybody who's, who will listen. If you identify some goals, big or small, and set aside some regular time to make progress on them, it's amazing what you can get done. Uh, for me, it was what we finally settled on was I worked, uh, I would go straight from work on Thursday evenings. And I would get up really early before church on Sundays and I'd work until, you know, I, I need to go take a shower and get ready for church. And those are the two times during the week that I was able to, uh, um, just even with those two blocks of time, that equaled about eight hours of extra work per week. So it's, it's really amazing that if you set aside a little bit of time and you do it on a regular basis, you can do some pretty incredible things. So that, that would be my advice. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually you'll get to the end of it. Even if you're only 10 miles, 10 more miles to go, right? <laughs> you may have to rent a car and drive the rest of the way. Well, Mark, I appreciate you uh, coming on Casual Conversations. Uh, and uh, thanks for, for telling your story about what you did that I found amazing. And I know that our listeners will too. And um, I just uh, want to thank our listeners too for making Casual Conversations a, a part of their uh, spiritual journey. Let's have a word of prayer before we go. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you give special skills and patience and endurance to people just like Mark. And uh, good things have happened throughout history because people have put their mind to it and made the time and accomplished great things. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll be with, uh, with Mark and his family. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with our listeners and encourage us all in our faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in on Casual Conversations, brought to you by Momentum Ministries. Visit our website at MomentumMinistries.org. That's Momentum Ministries, with two M's in the middle, dot O-R-G. God bless you and have a great day.